Be seated. I feel like I need to explain this shirt. (laughs) So here's your choices. A, I'm modeling for Cody and Malia my outfit to lead their wedding this weekend. (laughs) B, my wife's in New Jersey. (laughs) And it's always easier to apologize later. See, we're running out of summer, and nobody's invited me to any kind of barbecue where I could wear my favorite shirt. Yeah, I have, I know. D, hey, it's just a metaphor for a road trip. I'm not answering. I'm just kind of throwing out options there. (laughs) We're in Ephesians chapter 4. If you have a Bible, turn there, please. Ephesians chapter 4. Primary focus is going to start at verse 25. We really want to catch the context, so I'm going to begin reading at verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost their sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge every kind of impurity with a continual need for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Because of this, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. We've been going this summer through this metaphor about a road trip, looking at similarities to the journey of life, especially our spiritual journey. We have, counting today, three more weeks left. And today we're talking about road rage. (laughs) Road rage. We've all experienced it. I heard the story of a guy that was trying to explain how he had a car accident and He said, well, I was on a country road, and there was a long curve, wasn't going very fast, and a car came around the curve from the other direction with its window open. The woman yelled at me, pig, 
Well, being quick-witted as I am, I immediately strung together a number of expletives and ended with, idiot! Felt pretty good about myself till I went around the corner and my car ran into a pig. (laughs) We all struggle with anger of one form or another. None of us are exempt from it, and that's because we are emotional people. And so often, our anger gets the best of us. Right now, I'm thinking of James 1.19, that simple but profound verse. Each of us should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And how often have you done just the opposite, rushed into judgment and anger, opened your mouth and spoken, only afterwards to realize just how wrong you were? We're emotional people. And all too often, our emotions control us rather than us controlling our emotions. We are emotional beings, however, because our Creator is an emotional being. God experiences emotion, according to Scripture. He experiences joy, sorrow, anger, right? Anthropologists would say that that's a God that we have anthropomorphized. We've created a God in our own image, so he's emotional because we're emotional. But that accusation falls short because we also believe in a holy and perfect God, not like the Greeks or the Romans who believed in gods who were morally corrupted. No, in fact, what the Bible teaches is that God has theomorphized us. We are created in the image of God. Because he is an emotional being, we are emotional. Now, God expresses and responds to his emotion through his holiness. God always responds properly out of his emotions, but we know that we're a fallen race, and so there's a brokenness in us. And rather than responding to our emotions the way we were meant to, as God does, we respond out of that brokenness. When God's angry in Scripture, He always acts to make things right, to restore. When we're angry, we act to hurt, to do damage, to cause pain. We're emotional people because God is, and we would not be human if we weren't. So the challenge is, how do I get to a point where I am responding to my emotions the way God responds to his emotions. And in particular, today we are looking at the whole issue of anger. What were things that through Jesus we know that God is angry about? When do we see Jesus angry? In the temple, money changers. People that had turned a place that was sacred for the worship of God into a place not only just to make profit, but to take advantage of people. Where else? With the Pharisees. Pharisees. Religious leaders who were either hypocrites or leading people down a path of death because they were false leaders. These are things that Jesus got angry at. There is a righteous type of anger when we see what would make God mad, and then we need to act in a godly way. But our problem is we get angry about all sorts of things out of our brokenness. And I want to talk about two basic types of anger, two anger profiles, and ask you the question, what's your style of anger? The spewers 
and the stewers. And as it happens, there's a Greek word in the Bible for both of these styles of anger. So let's look at them quickly. The first is the spewer. The Greek word that uh, expresses this type of anger is thumos, and it means an explosion of words or a blaze of temper. Barclay puts it this way, a blaze of temper that flares into violent words or action and just as quickly dies. How many of you are spewers when you get angry? Yeah, it's a sparling family tradition. Uh, (laughs) You always know what we're thinking. The spewer is the person that reacts quickly and immediately and explosively and hyperbolically, right? That's the spewer. Spewers are not the kind of people that get heart attacks or ulcers because they get it out of their system. There's a healthy benefit to being an angry spewer. Spewers are, in fact, the kind of people that give other people heart attacks and ulcers. <laughs> Just letting it all out, like Old Faithful at Yellowstone, right? We feel so much better afterwards, but the problem is we leave a wake behind us. Say this with me from Proverbs 29, verse 11. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. A fool. I think back to those times. I, I think I've shared this with you that about 25 years ago when we first came to New England, I went through a period where I had um, eruptive anger. You wouldn't see it around the church where I pastored, but boy, my family experienced it. And I have over years come back and apologized for those times. And at the time, everything I was saying seemed absolutely justified. The strength of it, the exaggeration of it, it all seemed perfectly justified. And then I look back and realize, man, I acted so foolishly. That's what this verse is is referring to. I acted so foolishly. Another verse in Proverbs 29, verse 22 says, an angry man stirs dissension. A hot-tempered man, that's Thumas, leaves awake of destruction. Those of us here, you and I, who are spewers, rarely remember the most damaging parts of our spewing. Give ourselves a pass for the excess of our language and the damaging words because we feel like we had a reason to be angry. And when we come back to redress the situation, we'll talk about our justification. But what I really had to personally come to terms with is When I spew like that, when I'm explosive like that, I actually lose the right to come back to my issues and ask for reasonable acknowledgement. I abrogated that right the minute I poured out my wrath on the people that I was frustrated with, and you do too. See, It's amazing how quickly spewers can get past their anger. It's like it all comes out at once. And then an hour later, we're ready to have fun together with people. But we leave damage. Some of you who are hidden spewers in your home or in other places, some of you don't realize that for years, you have caused regular damage to the psyches of your children, to the strength of your marriage, and you've given yourself a complete pass because you get past it. And you don't realize that you have left 
a wake of devastation, as Proverbs says, behind you. That's the spewer. It's the more obvious type of anger. But the second is no less damaging, no less hurtful. And that is the stewer. Bottled up anger, lasting grudges. The Greek word for this type of anger is orge, and it's defined as an abiding and settled attitude of resentment and bitterness. It's the slow boil. It's the passive-aggressive anger. How many of you would say that's you? You're a, you're a stewer. Sometimes stewing can be confused for godly self-control. It's not. It's just repressed anger. And the problem with repressed anger is that it builds up pressure and expresses itself in different ways. Did you know most home house fires, unless a pipe explodes, which is more like Thumas anger, most house fires begin from something that has been smoldering for a long, long time before it breaks into flame. Did you know that? And that's the kind of anger this is talking about. On one of our road trips as a family, we went out to Yellowstone. As you know, there are lots of thermal features at Yellowstone. Of course, the famous ones are the geysers, Old Faithful and the like, those explosive releases. It's more like Thumas, but there's a lot of these out there. This is the Grand Prismatic Hot Spring. It's actually about the size of a small lake. It looks beautiful, actually looks peaceful but it's deadly. When we were visiting the porcelain base where they have all sorts of thermal features, we were standing near one smaller hot spring. It was just beautiful, all these different colors from yellow all the way down to a deep blue. And one of the stories that the ranger told about was a young man who had a dog and his dog got off of the leash and went running into that hot spring And the man, without thinking, just jumped in with him. Got the dog out. Dog died. The man got up and began walking towards the parking lot. And before he reached the parking lot, his skin had basically boiled away. That is a very gross illustration. But I want you to just embrace how devastating stewing can be. You build up this practiced hostility and you think you're hiding it. But eventually, everybody that gets pulled into your wake gets hurt by it, gets damaged by it. Because it becomes a way of looking at life. You're letting it affect and impact your judgment of everybody. Stewards can be those kind of people that come across with a little sense of humor, but the sense of humor seems always seasoned with a little jab. A little judgment, stewing can be devastating. In the passage that we're looking at in verses 26 and 27, don't let the sun go down on your anger. That is the word orge. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's not talking about those explosive arguments. That was the one bit of marriage advice that Vit and I got before we were married. Somebody said, don't ever go to bed mad and angry. And we've applied that most often (laughs) for 35 years. We've always thought of it about the arguments. We've got to make sure we go to bed at peace 
And that's good practice, but that's not this verse. This verse is talking about the attitude of bitterness, orge, the one that you lay down and you let it stew in your mind. It's that that gives the devil a foothold. I believe that Christians are protected by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, but I also believe that when we harbor bitterness, we give Satan control of that area in our life. He gets a foothold. And because you won't let go of that anger, he's not going to let go of you. So stewing or spewing or any other form of anger that comes to your mind, these are all deadly things that we are to grow out of. So we're going to take this passage beginning at verse 29 now and view it as a remedy for our anger. How do I manage my emotions and deal with my anger? I'm going to share five observations, five tools that I think Paul gives us, and the first is verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building each other up. And that first way to manage our anger is to take control of your words. Make a radical commitment that in a situation where you want to vent, where you want to hurt, where you want to defend the only words that are going to come out of your mouth are words that bless. Words that only serve to build up. In the same chapter, Paul talks about speaking the truth in love. And that's how we all grow into Christ. Unfortunately, when you're angry, you're not speaking truth. You think you are. You're dramatically committed to your version of events and interpretation. To you, you're speaking truth, but your whole heart is lying to you. That's why James said, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. To speak truth in love requires shutting up, pausing and questioning yourself looking for the deeper truth beyond your rush to judgment. Take control of your words. Verse 30, commit to pleasing God above everything else. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We need to live in a way, especially when we're in a setting where our emotions are taking over, a radical commitment to make sure that we're pleasing God rather than grieving Him. For us, the English word grieve is about sadness. I'm really grieving over this. The Greek word for grieve is to restrain or to limit. When I speak in a way that satisfies my darker nature. I am limiting the Holy Spirit's presence in my life, and therefore He cannot be filling you, empowering you. You're limiting the work that God can do in your life. Let's read verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, and then two words here, rage and anger. What words do you think those are? Rage is thumas, and anger is orge, along with every form of malice. We need to be seeking an inner transformation 
if we're really going to have our emotions, including our anger, be controlled by God. The words that come out of our mouth, Scripture says, come from the heart. Out of the heart we speak, Scripture says. That anger is something that's deep inside of you, and you can learn to keep your mouth shut, but then you just become a really good steward. That's all that happens. We need to allow God to root out the bitterness and the malice, the attitudes in our heart. For many of us, our anger, there are events that have happened in your past that you never dealt with. You have a root of bitterness that is bigger than any current relationship or any current circumstance. And if you're going to let God take control once again of your emotions, you have to go back there. You have to figure out a way to let it go. Get clear of it. Learn to forgive. It's about an inner transformation. We need to get rid of that malice and bitterness. Verse 32 actually has two areas. Let's read that. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The fourth point is we need to remember it's all about grace. It's all about the cross. It's so hard to remember that when we're the victims of some misunderstanding or someone's actions towards us and our heart just wells up or when people we love are the victims of other people's actions or words and we just wanna reach out and defend. I remember one of my children was the victim of an ongoing situation. The person actually had some mental issues I found myself standing in front of this person. And when this person began to say the things that they were saying about my child, at that moment, I understood why good people kill people for the people they love. I get that. I didn't, by the way. (laughs) All the glory to God. When when you want to lash out, This situation has to be about grace. And grace is unmerited favor. It's not deserved. We didn't deserve God's grace, and God knows the people we're angry at may not deserve our grace, but they get it anyway. It's not about rightness. It's not about justice. It's not about revenge. It's about grace. It's about the cross. He ends by saying, in the same way that God in Christ forgave you. And that's point five. A little humility is called for in these situations. A little humility and honesty goes a long way in helping us get past our anger. Right? Because there isn't a person alive, there isn't a person in this room, including you, who doesn't deserve God's wrath. Little reality, little humility. God, in Christ, forgave you. And if he did that, then there isn't a situation you will ever face in which you are not only capable but required as God's messenger of grace to also find the path to forgive. We always have to remember, no matter how we're feeling and what circumstance we're in,
that as Christians, we are not living for ourselves. Let's say this verse as we close. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. In every situation, say it again. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. When I'm celebrating great victories and success, say it again. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. When I'm experiencing the greatest heartache and disappointment, say it. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. When people have devastated and acted against those that I love or against my own well-being in a way that I am struggling with anger, say it. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. May he always be glorified, whether by word or by deed. May it always be about grace. May we always speak to one another in order to build up and to bless. Let's pray. Father, thank you for grace. I'm just struck at how often I forget how much you've forgiven me in Christ. And how quickly I lay that aside when I'm dealing with others around me. And so, Father, I once again ask you to make me an instrument of your peace. And I ask that on behalf of all my brothers and sisters in this space, in Jesus' name, amen.